Hi, everybody. We'll start with Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 37 to 45. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Go over to 1 Corinthians now. And chapter 8. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not seek cause them to fall. Now, if I can encourage you uh, to have your Bibles open, I'll put various bits and pieces up on the screen, uh, but it's always good to make sure that the speaker is actually speaking the truth. Uh, from God's Word. So uh, if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 8 is where we will spend most of the time. Um, I'm probably going to get whiplash uh, turning left and right. So if, yeah, look, you'll get used to it anyway. Uh, I'm going to pray, then we'll dive in. Father, we ask as we look at this passage this morning that you would be at work in us, 
Uh, Enlighten our hearts by your spirit. Uh, Change them so that we might learn what it is that uh, we need to learn this morning, that we might rejoice in the fact that you know us and you acknowledge us. And Father, out of that grace, we might live for one another. And we ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Now, it's great to be here. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for getting out of bed. Uh, I know, uh, look, I had to drive for 45 minutes to get here, so I had to get out of bed even earlier than you did uh, this morning. Now, uh, Stephen said I had about 45 to 50 minutes was normal. Is that that's about right? I guarantee I'll come in underneath that, so that's okay. Um, but this morning, as I thought about things, I reckon we have probably one of the weirder passages uh, in the New Testament. It is one of these passages that you might think, why are we spending time actually talking about meat sacrificed to idols? Now, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years, and I can tell you that in 20 years, no one in my congregation has ever asked me a question on this topic. It is not a burning pastoral issue. Did you come here this morning thinking, I've been wondering about this? It's there. It's weird, but it's also really tricky. Uh, It's so particular. There there seems to be something that is going on in first century Corinth that you have to do an awful lot of research, and that's where the commentaries and those kind of things will come in uh, handy to actually help us get to it. But it's also, it's really hard to find parallels. Uh, I want to confess, I woke up this morning because the birds get me up about 4am. It's now about 5am, so they're a little bit politer. They slept in for the extra hour this morning. Uh, and I was, I was wondering, can I think of anything else that, that parallels this in our experience? Can I take the people at Modbury some crystal clear examples? No, it's really hard to find parallels. And so we have this fairly weird, fairly tricky kind of passage. But I'd like to suggest a really important passage. Because in this passage, we see Paul work out the implications of a key element that makes Christian community distinct. And we see how Paul reasons from a general principle to a very particular situation. And so while we may not be facing uh, the issue of meat sacrifice to idols, we can, we can learn how Paul unpacks this and learn how to apply it in our own lives. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, can I say well done on making it? It's great to have you here. Uh, But what you're going to see maybe is something that makes Christianity or should make Christianity very different from the world around us. Now, I've got four headings for you this morning uh, so you can follow. Uh, There we have them. The knowledge that counts, knowledge that frees, knowledge that destroys and knowledge that serves. And we're going to work through the passage reasonably sequentially. Uh, That's just so you know where I'm up to. So there you have it, knowledge that counts. Now hopefully you're fairly familiar with the church in Corinth. Now uh, Corinth is great because when I start feeling bad about myself and my church, I go back and I read Corinthians and you realise that really your church is fairly normal. Uh, Corinthians 
they were a church that had both extraordinary highs and incredible lows. You read through and you see this phenomenally gifted, capable church that has a man having an affair with his stepmother. And you sit there and go, how does this work? You have these wonderfully gifted people who are so concerned with status and privilege. They're hung up on their leaders. Who do you follow? Well, I follow this person. I follow this person. I follow Christ and he trumps them all. So they're hung up on the status. They're worried about their spiritual gifts. Who's got the more spectacular ones and how do we actually regard each other? You know, you've got that one, so you're ranked. They're they're so caught up with the same things that the world in Corinth was caught up with. It's there. They were obsessed with the spectacular, the flashy, the things that gave them status. They were comparing themselves to one another and Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6 that their boasting is not good. They thought they'd arrived, but they are immature, they are divided. There's this hyper-individualism. They're there and they're so concerned about themselves that they are actually ripping themselves apart. And in that context, we see Paul start to address some of the issues that they have raised with him. They've written a letter to him at a different point. And at the start of chapter 7, Paul says, Now concerning the things you wrote about, and he talked about something in chapter 7. It's there, you can look at it. You looked at it last week. And now he says about food sacrificed to idols. What is this all about? Now, this is an issue of the pagan world. It's not an issue, probably, for most of us. In the market, selling meat. Oh, there we go. In the market, selling meat. Oh, I've actually just jumped a whole point. So let me just wind myself back. Uh, let's go back to there. Yes. Let's read. Verse, uh, sorry, that's the problem I've got here. I've just skipped. Let's read from verse 1. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. They've asked about these different topics. This is topic number two, the meat sacrifice for idols. And as I said, it's not a common issue for us. But we see here that Paul actually starts to address the issue by affirming something that we all need to know. He goes into their knowledge. Now, we here at Trinity Churches, I assume you're familiar with the term evangelical, yes? Okay, that means we love the Bible. That means we love God's Word, we want to dig into it deeply, we want to know Him through His Word as His Spirit takes that Word and works it in our lives. We love knowledge. Paul here gives us a caution. Because this knowledge, he tells us, is dividing the church. This knowledge is destroying people. There is the strong and the weak. There is spiritual damage and he warns them. 
in verse 2, he tells them, those who think they know something, they do not yet know as they ought to know. These people who think that they got the theological picture all together, they don't get it in the right way. They lack the perspective that love brings. And he cautions them and he takes them back to the knowledge that truly counts. Look with me at verse 3. He tells us, whoever loves God is known by God. Now, what, what would you expect him to have said? Perhaps whoever loves God knows God, yes? But he's flipped it round. And he's actually told us that the one thing that counts is not that we know God, but that he actually knows us. That is the one key defining relationship that any Christian will have. Not that we know, but that God knows us. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. But if you think about this piece of knowledge, when does it truly count? Think about the Lord Jesus and the parables he told of judgment. When they came to him and they said, Lord, Lord, did we not do? What does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. The fact that he knows us and he acknowledges us is an incredible act that defines us. And how is it that Christ can own us? Christ can know us? It's through the gospel. It's through his death and resurrection. It is an identity that we receive rather than achieve. The Corinthians, with their passion for knowledge, with their desire to grow uh, in status, in power, in all these things, they were thinking all about what they could achieve. And Paul draws them back to the fact that they are known and loved by God, something that is received. And that is at the heart. And that is how he then builds his argument about how to deal with meat sacrificed to idols. So let's move on. The knowledge that counts is the fact that God knows us. How does knowledge free? Well, he brings us to the issue, of, which is a product of that pagan world. Of You'd go down the butcher shop, and there it all is. But most of the meat, if not all of it, that was on sale in Corinth would have been meat that had been sacrificed in the temples. And then the bits of it that weren't burnt up and so forth would end up in the butcher shop. And you'd go along and the butcher didn't label it, saying this bit's been sacrificed but this bit hasn't. So you'd buy the meat uh, and you'd, you'd eat it. Okay, but there's a bit more. Because the temples were so much part of community life. Kind of like, if you go back to 1950s Australia, the churches were more than just religious institutions, yes? And so you could go along to a 21st birthday party at the church hall. It's not a specifically religious occasion, it's a civil, a civic occasion. It's part of the community, but you were there, whether you believed or not, in the church hall celebrating that event. 
And it seemed that that was happening as well, that these events were happening in uh, facilities attached to the temples. And so the strong ones would go along, they'd attend the party, uh, they'd have their barbecue and it'd be a great time. They saw no issue. But there was an issue. The weak were struggling. The weak were feeling defiled. The weak were being led into sin and perhaps even being destroyed. And so they've written to Paul and say, well, what do we do about this? This is how we understand things. And so you'll see in the NIV text, there's all these kind of quote marks, which is what the translators believe the Corinthians wrote to Paul. And he's reflecting back to them. And so he says this, follow along from verse 4. He says, so then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. We have Paul actually affirming their knowledge. They've written to him. They've explained perhaps how they understand it. And he says, you're spot on. The start of verse 6, there is one God. He is the origin of all things. He is the one who created all things. He is the one for whom all things were created. He was the one that it's the purpose of creation is summed up in there. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing that Paul puts the Lord Jesus alongside the Father. If you don't believe in the Trinity, well, there's an argument for you from that verse. Uh, there's one Lord Jesus Christ, and He's the agent of God's creation. The Father instigated it, the Son carried it out, and He sustains creation. There's one God, Paul says, and the Corinthians acknowledge, and idols, therefore, are nothing. They're empty pieces of metal or wood, they are nothing. And so, Meat offered to nothing is just meat. It's just meat. And Paul unpacks this at other points. And he actually says uh, to, uh, to Timothy, he actually says that everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. He says it's just meat. Is meat that the one God created and it's been offered to nothing, it's still meat, it still has nutritional value, yes. He commends their understanding. Now, as I said, uh, we don't have some of the hang-ups that they had, really because we have a culture that has been shaped by 1,500 years of Christianity shaping our culture in a very significant way. And so we don't perhaps appreciate what an incredible truth this is. But if you go outside of Western society, if you go to the Asian countries, to the African countries, to the Latin American countries, where 
an awareness of an evil spiritual world is very significant. You will see what superstition does to people. I've done short-term mission work overseas. I've seen people held in slavery through fear. They wouldn't go near certain places. They wouldn't touch certain things. They wouldn't look at certain things. And what Paul here is saying, that there is one God. There is one Lord. It frees us. It means that rocks are rocks, trees are trees. They're not sacred. They're not spiritual. They are created by the Creator for our good. And we receive them. We maybe don't appreciate just what an incredible freedom that gives. That Paul breaks superstition apart and says it's good because the one God created it. So he affirms their knowledge. He tells them they've got it right. But there's a really big but here though, isn't there? Okay, let's move on. He tells them that it's actually not enough for them to be right. It's not enough to have just the right theology. Let's read from verse 7 down to verse 12. But not every, everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But the food does not bring us near to God, for we are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way, you wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Paul tells us it's not enough to just have your theology right. He's told them eating meat is okay. Eating meat sacrificed to idols is okay. It's not wrong it's a morally neutral event. You're not better off if you do it. You're not worse off if you don't. That's what he tells us. But these less mature Christians, these people who've been saved out of idol worship, they can't dissociate the meat offered from the God that they used to worship. And they are led by your example, Paul is saying. As they see you, the strong ones, going in, they think, oh, well, we should go in too. And while you see it as neutral, they see that they are taking part in idol worship once again to their harm. They think an idol is something. And as they are led to imitate the strong, Verse 11 tells us they are actually destroyed. It's important to see what Paul here is talking about. He's talking about something that is morally neutral, but a weaker brother or sister, because of their background 
actually regards it as something that is morally potent, particularly in a negative sense. And because of the example of the other, they indulge to their detriment. So you see what's actually happening here. We don't do the meat sacrifice to idols. It's not part of our culture. So what I thought, what can I come up with to give you an example? What could it be? I'm going to give you a whole lot and I'm probably going to offend you because I'm going to pick on things that you like. Okay? Some of them anyway. All of these, can I say, are imprecise because there's always grey around these edges. So I walk here with a little bit of fear and trepidation. You can come and talk to me afterwards if you want. Should a Christian eat halal? Should Christians engage in martial arts with the religious connotations that many of them have? Should Christians drink alcohol? Should Christians watch R-rated or perhaps even MA-rated movies? Should they play computer games with the graphic violence that is being there? Should they buy lottery tickets for worthy causes? Hospitals, schools? Should they read, listen to true crime podcasts? Should they go on tourism jaunts of religious sites? So next time you're across in Turkey, should you visit the mosques? Because they are temples to another god. They're blurry lines. It's hard to lock something down. But can I actually say, I don't want you to lock it down. And I don't think Paul wants them to lock it down. Because he's telling those who've raised the issue with him, the issue is not with the weaker brother or sister. He doesn't say, sit them down and get their theology straight. What does he tell them? He tells them to, to love them. He tells them the issue is not with the weaker brother or sister. The issue is actually with themselves. Do we see that? Do we see that? It is really tricky because we get so hung up on what is this? How does this apply? Paul says, look to your own heart first. Now, I need to just give a couple of little caveats, a couple of little warnings. Paul here is talking about something that is morally neutral. Okay? He said, one God, meat offered to idols is just meat. These people are not going to a sacrifice. They're not worshipping at the temple. They are just eating the meat that is coming out from the activities. When Paul comes to things that are not morally neutral, you see that he is not flexible at all. This principle of loving, trumping knowledge only works when it's moral neutrality. So what does Paul do with Peter when Peter starts getting the gospel wrong in Galatians chapter 2? You might know the story. Peter had backed off. He'd stopped eating with the Gentiles because they were unclean. One would assume that he'd started to practice Jewish customs again. He'd started to act like you were made 
right before God through obedience to the law, what does Paul do? Does he go, oh, just love him? He stands up and publicly rebukes him in the congregation. Paul gives not an inch. How did he treat the guy who is having the affair with his father's new wife? Did he say, just love him? He said, put him out of the congregation. When it comes to things of gospel significance, when it comes to things that are black and white moral issues, Paul is emphatic. The loving things to do is to stand by God's word. But when it comes to these less locked down issues, where there is freedom, what he tells us is that where there is freedom, we are free as the strong, as the mature, to forego our rights. Let me repeat that. Where there is freedom, we are free to forego our rights. Now, in our society, that's a bit revolutionary. We'd normally, we, we fight for our rights, don't we? We are free to have our rights. We're free to do it our way where there is freedom. Now, Paul says, where, where there is freedom, you are free to let it go. You are free not to stand on what is right, my rights, but to, in love, serve the other. How does that sit with you? How does it sit with you that you might give up something that you love? I, I could never be a vegan. I apologize if you're a vegan or a vegetarian this morning. I actually thank God for you because there's more meat for me. Um, okay? Uh, but I, I look at this and I think, if I've got a brother or a sister in church and they're caused to stumble by the fact that I'm eating meat and you expect me to give up, oh, for goodness sake, they should just grow up. Just get your theology right. Can I sit down and explain it to you? How do you react? How do you feel when, well, I'm seeing movies and you're going and seeing those movies and they're causing you to stumble and so I perhaps shouldn't be going to see. But I want to see those movies and they don't cause me any problems. How do you feel about that? How do you feel our natural instinct is to go back to the self. How do we find not the knowledge that destroys? Because Paul tells us that that way we will see our brothers and sisters, the ones for whom Christ died, we will see them destroyed. How do we not have a knowledge that destroys, but rather a knowledge that serves? In verse 2 and verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. How should we know as we ought to know? Well, he tells us that in verse 3. Whoever loves God is known by God. We are known by the Father. We are acknowledged by the Father because of the death and resurrection of the Son, who is pleased to call us brothers and sisters. Not by our works, not by our merits, but by His loving grace. 
this one. John, uh, Mark writes for us, this one says the Son of Man. That's his title that he uses for himself. And if you know where that comes from, it comes out of Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel sees a vision of one like a Son of Man who goes to the Ancient of Days and receives dominion over everything. Jesus says, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's who he's saying he is. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This one, he had the right to do anything. It was his. He's the creator. He's the one through whom the Father created all things. In his name, every knee will bow, Philippians tells us. Every tongue will confess. He will bring all things up and then he'll hand it back to the Father. This is the King of Kings. He came to serve. He came, he laid down his rights, he laid down his life for me and for you. To know as we need to know, is to have our theology and our identity with the gospel at the centre. We can know lots of stuff about God, but we need to know that he knows us. And that is grace, and that is the gospel. And that means that when the Lord Jesus You know, it's an amazing story in Mark 10. Uh, It's a real warning, if you like a little bit of one-upmanship, where James and John, they come along and they go, they get into Jesus early. And they say, look, we want the right and the left. They've worked out that Jesus is someone special. We want the seats of honour in the kingdom. And Jesus asks them a question. Remember the the question that was read for us? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptised with the baptism? And, and you know what they say? Yes. You know what he's actually asking? Can you die the death that I'm going to die? That's what he's asking. They think they're probably, you know, something else is on canvas. But he actually says to them, he says, you will. But I can't give you the seats on the right and the left. You'll get the humiliation, but you won't get the glory. You won't get what you're after as you seek it for yourself. But James and John both would have found that as they understood more of the Father's love to them in Christ, they get the glory in spades. Not the glory that they sought for themselves, but the glory that the Father gives us in Christ. Which means then that we don't need to seek the status We don't need to seek our own rights. We can lay them down as Christ laid down his rights for us. The one who is to be first of all is the servant of all. The one who is the great one serves. So as we think about our relationships, as you think about how your community here at Modbury, it was great to hear Barb introduce you. It lets me see if I've got it right. We want to love God, love each other and love our world. We've got that, okay. When you're thinking about loving each other, when you walk in the door on Sunday, when you turn up to your growth groups during the week, when you just interact in different ways, are you thinking, 
How can I, in love, serve this person to build them up? Because our world so often works in the categories of how can I get what I need to build myself up? But we don't need to do that. Because in Christ, Ephesians 1 tells us, we have every spiritual blessing. You have no lack. You don't need status. You are children of God. You don't need someone to pump you up because the Father will acknowledge you at the judgment seat and say, come into my kingdom. You don't need more love because the Father has lavished so much love on us that we are called his sons and daughters. This is what's at the heart. And so when Paul's talking about this issue to do with idol meat, when he gets to verse 13, how does he say? He says this. He says, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. Now, there's a way in Greek of actually kind of, if they had word processes, they'd bold and underline. You put two negatives next to each other, and it means never, ever under any circumstances. So Paul literally says here, I will never, ever, under any circumstances, eat meat into the ages. So he, he bends over backwards to say, my love for my brother and sister, my desire for their good, will mean I will give up that right into eternity, if need be. To see their good worked out. Now when you think about the rights that you stand for, do you hold them so loosely? You may be perfectly entitled to them, but is your attitude my rights or love for my brothers and sisters? And when you find that challenge there, go back and think, where would we be if Christ said, I have the right not to be crucified. I have the right not to be mistreated. I have the right not to bear sin that is not mine. He laid down his rights. He laid down his life. It revolutionises our relationships. Now, I just want to spend just a couple of minutes drawing a couple of practical things out. Firstly, how do you think about Christian maturity? Is it about how much is in here? Now, the Bible is a book. Paul, Jesus, the other Bible writers, they are not anti-intellectual. We should delve deeply into God's Word. I've spent... Who knows how many hours, how many thousands of dollars, how many years of my life studying so that I might know God's word better. I might teach God's word more faithfully. But maturity is not how much I know. Maturity is seen in that attitude of selfless, loving service. Who are the great ones? I don't know you guys. I could pick on four or five people of familiar faces. I could say, they're the great ones. I don't know if they are or they're not. But 
can I say the great ones, the ones that Jesus talks about in Mark 10, they are the ones who serve. Let me tell you as a pastor, it is such a delight to see people step up and serve in ways that they wouldn't choose to. To see people who don't have kids serve in kids' ministry. See people who don't like coffee serve on the coffee cart. To see people turn up week after week after week when they could be in bed and set this place up so people can come in and sit down. People who serve. I love it when I hear... When I ring someone, I say, oh, look, I'm sorry I haven't been in touch. I know you've had a hard time recently. And they say, oh, it doesn't matter. Eight people from my growth group and church have rung me already and three meals have been dropped. I don't know who those people are, but they serve their brothers and sisters in love. You know, and I don't, I don't know who these people are in your congregation, so I can speak openly. In every congregation, there is always people for whom... Being in bigger groups is harder. Being alongside others is difficult. For whatever reason, uh, we're a little bit sharp around the edges and sometimes we can find we push people away. And it's easy for those people to find themselves in congregations, isolated. Who is the great one? The great one is the one who has the conversation. The great one is the one who follows up. The great one is the one who serves, who lays down the rights to catch up with their friends and spends time loving and serving this brother or sister in Christ. Do you crave recognition? I'm going to have a dig at myself. Uh, I looked this up. I didn't really know, understand. I have a title. Does anyone else here have a title? Is it as good as my title? My title is... The Reverend Dr. Cameron Munro. Okay? And, and, and the Reverend, I looked this up on, on Wikipedia. The Reverend means I am worthy of reverence. Okay? <sighs> Fair income. And we have Anglican people, and I can pick on them because I've been an Anglican for all my life. And we call them the Right Reverend, the Very Reverend, the Venerable Reverend. Have we got this wrong? One of the things I, I love about the Trinity Network is we don't tend to make a big deal about those things. We don't do it publicly. But do you make a big deal to yourself? I'm a growth group leader. I serve on the leadership team. I do this. No. True maturity comes and is seen in humility and grace and service and love. And I've pushed my friendship with you very hard. I would love to talk more about this. This is God's word, but let's pray. Father, what an incredible illustration we have of the Lord Jesus' teaching about the great ones being the servants, the one who wants to be first being the slave of all. And Father, he was that for us. And Paul here has unpacked how that works out within our communities. That we don't seek to build ourselves up. We don't seek to assert our rights. 
But where there is freedom, Father, we are free to serve, to seek the good of the other over the good of ourselves. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Trinity Church Modbury. Lord, I ask that this congregation would more and more be a congregation that demonstrates this, that your spirit impels them, first of all, to the way that you have loved them in Christ. And then as they know that, that they are known by you, that they may love one another and serve with joy. And we pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.